you have a new sheet in front of you. Uh, it's actually, it says page three and four, and at the top it says Unity and Realignment Part Two. We're kind of moving on to the next uh, phase of the history. Uh, we took just a little break to take a look at uh, predestination election. Uh, I have up there on the board our page one and two, that is just unity and realignment. Uh, just a quick review before we push in. Um, we had uh, the General Senate um, that out on the East Coast was pretty well everyone, started with the Pennsylvania Ministerium, pretty well everyone on the East Coast was in the General Senate. Uh, we dealt with, with that first two pages, the Civil War. We saw the United Senate South uh, pulls off in 1863, uh, pretty well along the Mason-Dixon line. The General Council, though, um, seeing the liberalness of the General Senate, uh, splits off from it in 1867. Um, and so those on the East Coast are primarily made up of three groups. Um, I put together, I, I wasn't satisfied with my other diagrams, so I drew some other ones. Um, trying to, uh, the right is more conservative, the left is more liberal, typical kind of, of, of lineup. And so you can see in the East Coast, um, split up mainly into two. The United Senate, yeah, that's three, but, but they're pretty well of the same. The, the issue has to do with uh, the South and, and slavery kind of things. Um, anyway, so the General Council, um, uh, by 18, uh, had split off, uh, they became more conservative and kind of continued in that way for a while. We took a look at going back to the Midwest. We saw that the uh, Synodical Conference was formed by many of the uh, national synods, uh, whether it was primarily the German, but as well as the Norwegians and uh, Swedes and, and, and those as well. Um, it wasn't long before that election predestinarian controversy really exploded and kind of blew up the synodical conference. Um, and that's going to kind of push forward. We did take a look and see uh, the Norwegian-Danish uh, Senate uh, was kind of a middle group. There was also the Norwegian Senate itself that was a little more conservative. We said they had uh, several different ones. I did show you that the Norwegians, as regards to the election controversy, came up mainly with something called the Madison Agreement of 1912 and how that agreement that said these two positions are not uh, incompatible as long as they stay within their bounds, and as that went forward, now we're going to be taking a look at, and I think I ended with, 1917 is the 400th anniversary of the 95 Theses. 
and how this uh, celebration of Lutheranism uh, often changes uh, Lutheran synods, congregations, things of this sort. And you might think that by going back to uh, Lutheran documents and history that it would always be for the better. Yeah, you better take another uh, idea. Um, so that, anyway, that brings us to the present. Mary? Uh, the Madison Agreement approved both teachings of election. What does that mean? Uh, I remember that there, there was... So prior this idea that in view of faith that we were saved uh, by the instrument of faith, that's what that intuitive fide meant, that was one view. Walter comes up later and says... I think that people who say that are thinking that there's something in them, that God is saving them because of something they do as they look forward and they make a decision in the future. That's what Walther thought that meant, and that's why he condemned it. Those were the two views. And they agreed with both of them. The Madison Agreement came and said, you know, this one combats Calvinism, and lets us know that it's always an election by the instrument of faith. This one, obviously, if you think it's a decision or something that we do, well, of course you don't want to make it seem as if God looks ahead and said, because of what you do, I'm going to save you. So, no, these two aren't in disagreement, um, provided we understand how this works. That's what the Madison Agreement said. Do you have a follow-up question? Not really, because, you know, I, I, I withhold judgment myself on what that would actually mean in practice, so. True. All right, so, 400th anniversary of the 95 Theses. Kind of going back just a little bit, um, we'll get back to, uh, and I'm, I'm going to pretty well go through the Norwegians, the East Coast, the Midwest uh, Germans. The Norwegians, going back just a little bit before the 400th anniversary, in 1890, the Norwegians formed the United Norwegian Lutheran Church in America. Uh, it, considered, uh, it consisted of uh, the Conference of Norwegians, the Norwegian Augustana Senate, uh, also some that had broken off of the Norwegian Senate, which held with Walther's Election controversy, they called themselves the Anti-Missourian Brotherhood. Um, it's always hard to maintain your beliefs when your beliefs are based on not being somebody else. So it, it didn't take long for that to kind of, yeah, they just joined and uh, left someone else. The Norwegian Senate didn't come into it. Uh, we do have a couple of them, like Lutheran Brother and Lutheran Free Church, that stayed out of it. So... To give you my diagram, and the Norwegian one is quite convoluted, but that's the way Norwegians are. Are there any Norwegians here? I'm not going to get the real The Germans were pretty well, and you get what you see is what you get with the Norwegian. With all due respect. I'm making this up. Anyway, 1890, they all come There is. The Norwegian Senate, again, that's more conservative. They end up going off into the Synodical Conference, the Midwest. They're more conservative. You do have a couple of uh, Norwegians. Uh, the Haugi Senate, 
Ileson, these are the ones that have lay preachers and all. Uh, they stay out of this, but finally they'll get sucked in uh, as, as it goes forward. We'll see what happens uh, with, with that. There is a method to uh, this. Uh, to this. I'm going to close that so I don't open it up anymore. Um, uh, the mergers ended up stalling out with the election controversy and many of the questions until 1912, and that's when, and I have no idea how you pronounce these Norwegian words, but it was the settlement, meaning the Madison Agreement. Um, and so, for the Norwegians, that was the thing, and, and uh, they wanted to be together. Um, very close-knit uh, nationality, um, wanted to all get together and meet Ludifus. That's what they wanted to do. Um, and so, when this agreement came forward, it now removed the problem of the election, and, and we can all be together. Um, again, the two forms of election are approved in 1913. This allows them to go forward. Now, make no bones about it, the Midwest German Missouri Lutherans, when they said the word settlement, it was with very disgust. You know, how dare they say that there's no difference here, and they're just, it's just doctrinal compromise, and they're just going to get it. Got it. Got it. But that's, that's what was done. From this point, what had already with the United Norwegian of 1890, now the Norwegian Lutheran Church of America, 1917, by the time they get to this 400th anniversary, you know, um, and I'll tell you a little bit more, but 92% of Norwegian Lutherans joined um, uh, uh, the Norwegian Lutheran Church of America in 1917. Um, traditional Lutheran stance, pretty well on inerrancy. Um, church relations, I'm going to read just a little bit. Uh, the Haugian Senate, which was the layman, kind of they, they told them, oh yeah, yeah, uh, we're not forbidding lay rights. Um, again, there were some that... that Refused. There are a couple that left later and went in the synodical conference. But uh, 1917, you know, going to my diagram, um, wow, everybody joins in. If you were Norwegian, you know, this really hit it. And as as it was mentioned, I'm gonna uh, uh, I copied out some. Uh, pages from Nelson's book, The Lutherans in North America, in which he explains uh, some of these uh, things. Uh, Bridging of the troublesome doctrinal barrier guaranteed the merger which occurred in the year of the Reformation's 400th anniversary in a huge enthusiastic convention in St. Paul, which combined Norwegian religious and cultural elements in a way not always easily distinguishable. You were Lutheran. Yeah, we're Norwegian. Yeah, well, that's all the same. Uh, over 92% of Norwegian Lutherans compromising uh, over 30% of all Norwegians in America combined to form the Norwegian Lutheran Church of America. It's official documents predictably gave it a traditionally Lutheran stance on scripture, 
on Lutheran doctrine, on relationships with other churches. So, as they came together, on paper, it was pretty good. I say pretty good. Um, Alarmed at the restrictions on fraternal relationship with other Christians, the Haugian Senate, whose congregations were used to participating in general evangelistic reform ventures, demanded and received assurance that the Constitution did not mean to prohibit such activities. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah, it's okay. I mean, we're, we're traditional, but, you know, you, you can still do this stuff. Been, the strong Haugian lay tradition is also reflected in the recognition of the layman's rights, the duty of witnessing to his faith privately, and in a congregational gatherings. Nevertheless, there was a strongly confessional emphasis and a cautious spirit towards other Lutherans were guaranteed by the mergers, convention's choice for president. They chose Hans G. Stubb of the Norwegian Senate. So once again, as they came together, and finally you get into 1917 and the far-right Norwegian Senate comes in, they elect the president of this to be the president of this. So that it kind of ensured that he would lead them and encourage them more towards the conservative, although they're they're bringing in people from a a large uh, religious Lutheran landscape. Uh, if you will. So this is what we see, and again, it's the 400th anniversary. Yay! And the Norwegians were able to to pull it off. That's what we see with the Norwegians. East Coast. Out on the East Coast. In the 1880s, we had three Senates, General Senate, General Council, and the United Senate of the South. Um, and yet they were working together, compilation, putting together common service, even a hymnal. Uh, that's kind of where we're going, but we got a ways uh, to go with this. Um, the split off, though, of the General Council from the Liberal General Senate <coughs> happened in 1867. You might think that was the end of things. Everyone who thinks that they can predict history, yeah, it doesn't always work that way. Granted, the General Senate did not subscribe to the formula of Concord. They only subscribed to the Augsburg Confession. Now, if you remember back to our uh, our, our compiling of the Book of Concord, there was, after Luther's death, and there was within Lutheranism, a lot of confusion concerning things. On the one hand, we had the crypto-Calvinists that were claiming to be Lutheran, but were not. We also had those who followed Melanchthon, uh, uh, Philip Melanchthon, who were uh, uh, wanting to have an ecumenical, get back together kind of thing, and, and were willing to use language that wasn't quite as clear to make that happen. The General Senate considered the last book of the Book of Concord, the Formula of Concord, as an exaggerated Lutheranism. It was trying to suppress Melanchthon's influence, and instead of unity happening, it was fostering strife, 
and that's why they didn't like the whole Book of Concord. Now, again, is that... You ought to know. All right. By 1907, General Council, the more conservative, their pastor, Henry Jacobs, um, as they are involved in lots of discussions among these groups out on the East Coast, he continued, because they were saying, maybe we ought to start bridging this gap and get back together too. Again, the 400th anniversary is coming. Um, Push that the Bible is the word of God. The Augsburg Confession, you know, needs to be upheld. Um, an acknowledgement, at least, of the other confessional books. I, I probably can't get you guys to subscribe to it, but at least you can acknowledge the formula of Concord and uh, some of the other books that are there. Um, as they went forward, the General Senate conceded at, uh, to put that in <coughs> to the General Senate's Constitution. In other words, as they're moving forward and they're wanting to get together, the General Council says, you know, it's going to be a no-go if you guys don't put these things in. The General Senate said, well, we'd like to get together. So, we'll do it. What does that tell you? Wrong reasons. Yeah, you know, um, exactly. So, uh, the General Senate, uh, they had some conventions, 1909, 1911, 1913, leading up to it. Um, and again, they were talking about all these things. It got the General Senate to agree to it uh, as they moved forward. Here's what Nelson tells us. Other differences between, although they came on the virtually the same confessional basis, on paper, they all signed off. Other differences between the two bodies remained in the moment of the merger between, but these seemed to cause no great difficulties. The general council's official position barred non-Lutherans from communing or preaching in Lutheran services except in the most unusual circumstances. It officially <laughs> disapproved of membership of pastors and laymen in secret societies with religious ceremonies. So, uh, uh, the Lodge, the Masons. It discouraged participation in general Protestant cooperative ventures. That's the General Council. The General Senate allowed freedom to the individual conscience on intercommunion with others, membership in secret societies, and was more ready to consult and cooperate with non-Lutherans. So, so, General Senate, that split off, 1860, General Council, much more conservative, General Senate, still liberal. When they are looking at getting back together, the General Council, still somewhat conservative, the General Senate, still liberal, still liberal. Yes, but our new constitution that we're putting together, that's going to guarantee everything will work out, right? <laughs> You're following me, aren't you? <laughs> so, 
the differences remained, as I uh, showed you with uh, Nelson. He goes on to say, um, but the General Council assured of the General Senate's growing appreciation for the standards of historic Lutheranism did not insist that the Senate's positions had to be identical with the Council's on these questions. On most counts, the position in the United Senate South was close to the General uh, Council. So, they're going to get together. We're going to, and it happened soon after 1917. They couldn't quite get it done in time, but by 1918, they formed the United Lutheran Church in America. It's a merger of the General Senate, General Council, and United Senate South. They all get back together. They all have the same professional basis, at least on paper. Yeah. Um, what do you think the Midwest thinks of this? Yeah. Although the General Council's official statements on doctrine and process always seem closer to the conservative Midwest German Senate than to the General Senate, its ties to the General Senate were strengthened. How? Well, not only were they out in the same area and talking together, whatever, but the unsympathetic criticism. Sounds like Germans. Of the Germans, yes. <laughs> Sounds like you. <laughs> They're wrong. They're rusty. That's what happens, you know, of the Midwestern who demanded more rigorous discipline of fellowship infractions than the general council could impose. So, at least put it in, the, in perspective. The Midwest are going... Yeah, but we expect not only doctrine, but also practice. practice. The general council is trying to bring the general, uh, the senate along, and the general council realizes that, you know what, there's no way we're going to be able to get them. I mean, if we tell them that they have to follow along in practice, it's not going to happen. And so it's more than the general council. The general council would have had no trouble doing it, but the general senate wouldn't, in order to get together. And the general council says, listen, we got them to agree to this is our official position. It'll all work itself out. Just give it time. That is the way that it starts. It will, but exactly the opposite of what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah, never work out. No, human nature. Um, and so, um, uh, one of the documents that later talks about how the General Senate cultivates fraternal relations with other branches of Orthodox Protestantism. <laughs> it enacts no restrictive law against fellowship at Pope. It allows to both ministers and members the freedom of conscience and love in this matter. So here's what the General Senate's saying. Here's what the General Council is doing. When they get together, I'm sure that when you talk to the two different ones, they have a little bit different idea of, of what this is really turning out as. The first thing that should have caused some concern... Well, um, let me get... I also have, uh, let's see, 76... Doctrinally, the new United Lutheran Church of America stood precisely where its constituent synods had. So they didn't really change, they just got together. The scriptures as the inspired word of God, 
uh, were acceptable as the infallible rule of faith and practice. The three ecumenical creeds were affirmed. The unaltered Augsburg Confession was recognized as the basic doctrinal statement of Lutheranism, along with the other Lutheran confessions as elaborations of Lutheran doctrine. No reference was made in the Constitution, though, to potentially troublesome matters, like secret societies, relationship with other Lutherans. And in this uh, getting together, they had a section in their constitution that had an invitation in the preamble for all Lutheran senates in America to unite with this new church. And on this basis was regarded by its framer as the great contribution to unity. But by the most conservative senate, it was viewed as an arrogant affront. In other words, they went and said, do you see how we did it? All of you ought to come together with us because we were able to bring together in unity. Yeah, the Midwestern Senates did not see that as a, 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 a great thing and the, and, the, and the potential for it. However, transition. We're going to the Midwest. Questions? How about out in the Midwest? What are we going to do with the Germans and, and what's going on out there? You know what? They didn't have anything to show. The Norwegians, they're all getting together. The East Coast, they're all getting together. What's wrong with you guys? What's wrong? A bunch of uh, uh, unloving. Uh, we're divided at this point between, and it's a little bit simpler when we get to the... Uh, here, um, there was those in the Synodical Conference, Missouri, Wisconsin, the little Norwegian Senate. There were some Norwegians they left with the election, Ohio left with the election. Over here we had Iowa, Buffalo, Ohio, and other states, the Joint Center of Ohio and other states. And then we had those in the Synodical Conference, um, and it pretty well, nothing happened till 1930. So nothing's going on. Uh, all you guys are doing is arguing, and um, everyone else is getting stuff done. There's a distinction between synodical conference and pretty well everyone else. And what did Missouri and others have to say about what they were doing and and? and why things weren't going together. Oh, I did, sorry, I forgot to mention. Uh, when they got together, <laughs> the first president of the new church body was from the General Senate, that is, from the most liberal of them. So where before you had the General Council one kind of pushing it, and it, it went to the right, now it's it's going to go to the left. Okay, so um, the the Midwest Germans who tended to make doctrinal unanimity the one and only basis of intersynodical fellowship entered the 20th century in what seemed to be an hopeless impasse. Nothing's going on. But, what did they think? Well, 
Um, were there Ohio's speaking against Missouri, Missouri speaking against Iowa, there's arguments back and forth. But even more than the others, the Missouri Senate had boundless confidence that it represented the only real Lutheranism in America. Other Lutherans were charged either with an unwillingness to separate themselves completely from erroneous teaching and church life, or with actual heresy and doctrine, or even with being no longer Christian. Um, other Lutherans were indicted as the troublemakers who tolerated the error of non-Lutherans. Behind the differences on individual points of doctrine, Missouri theologians usually thought they detected either an unwillingness to accept the doctrine of grace alone, or an unwillingness to submit human opinions to the scriptural revelation. So on this basis, they charged that other Lutherans did not even know what Christianity is. And that the gospel was to them a deeply hidden mystery, yes, an offense and an aggravation. And the real issue was simply how man is saved. If we agree on that, the man is not saved by his own works, but by faith in Christ, then the battle will have been won. Well, all right. So they accused them because what did they do? They wanted not just on paper, but also in practice. Um, granted, some things may have been overstated uh, with it. However, Missouri was somewhat isolated and out in the Midwest from what's going out on the East Coast. Um, in the meantime, isolation from the others, vigorous witness against them was the only correct stance. In defending their synod against attack, Missouri's theologians repeatedly affirmed that their synod was in possession of the truth, the entire unvarnished truth. In other words, we're teaching the word of God. Um, at this point, why am I going to leave it behind? Um, and that, as certainly as Holy Scripture is God's word, which it is, so certain it is that our doctrinal position is correct. It's built upon the word of God. It's built upon the word of God. Whoever contests our doctrinal position contends against the divine truth. So, it's, it's, this is the way old Missouri taught. Missouri held to that which was true. And they said, listen, you know, we would love to get united, but not to just be united, and not on doctrinal controversy or compromise, and not just on paper. Um, Never, wrote a Wisconsin Senate editor about the Missouri Senate, has the pure doctrine of God's word been in uninterrupted control of one and the same church body for so long a time. So they're saying, listen, we're, we're holding to this. Um, and so, um, Frederick Bente, Frederick Bente uh, uh, is the one who put together the Triglotta, the uh, German and the Latin and the English Book of Concord, and had it published about this time as a celebration of the 400th anniversary, obviously uh, uh, a, a great thing. Um, however, I, I'm, I'm not putting down Missouri's hold, and they were right. If you held to the word of God, that's what you held to, and you needed to have doctrine and practice. You can see how others 
misunderstanding that would look at them and how the East Coast, where the general counsel goes, listen, we've moved from here way over to here. And Missouri goes, yeah, but <laughs> um, yeah, here's where the scriptures and the confessions sin. You can see what they would, how they would react. Uh, Benji's editorial on the 50th anniversary of Lair and Vera, uh, Truth and Teaching, um, illustrates the total confidence that Missourians had nothing to learn from the Lutherans of the other synods, which made the others even less than anxious to discuss and debate the unresolved questions of the predestinarian controversy. Every issue of Lara Vera, he wrote, represents every other. If you know one, you know them all. Lara Vera has rejected the idea of doctrinal progress. Doctrinal progress. Um, what's doctrinal progress? Something not good, that's for sure. Yes. Change. Yeah, things aren't good enough now, so we're going to make it better by changing something. Yeah, so we may have learned something in the 1600s, and that was, but as as God's teaching moves on, it will change as we learn more and as we understand. And so we can affirm what the Lutherans said there. We may not believe that anymore, but it's okay because it's it's progressed. We. We are beyond, that was a good, I mean, if you were living at the time, that was a good stance to take against the doctrinal compromise. But if you live today, you would speak in a different way. Now, it's not just, and, and this is where I'm kind of leading into, it's not just what the East Coast Lutherans were saying, but there were things going on that were changing the religious landscape. One of the things was doctrinal progress. Okay? That today, we've got to move on. Um, I remember one time, um, I, went to the, I went to the hospital to visit someone. I, I was a pastor for a year, I think, or something like that. And um, a nurse came to me, and, and she said... Uh, uh, I don't know, where, where are you from? I'm from the Lutheran Church. She goes, are you from Missouri? I go, well, yeah, I'm, I'm from... She goes, when are you guys going to ordain women? When are you going to get with the 21st century? <laughs> I mean, it was just a matter of fact. There's got to be some progress, and you've simply taken your stand in the 16th century, and you're not moving. That's your problem. Um, so, we're going to also see that Missouri saw some of these things as well. Let me take a break, get some questions, and then I'll um, come back. Fine? Is it possible to change your practice without changing your doctrine? There are times that that does happen. Now, there are other times that we would say no. Um, you know, uh, I... I can give examples of, of, of both. Um, there was a time in which Lutheran churches, the men sat on one side, the women sat in the pews on the other side. We don't do that. It has changed. Is that, you know, no. Um, but there can be others, yes, we used to teach marriage, now you can live together. You know, okay, now that would be a problem. Yeah, so, yes, that is true. 
but we got to be pretty careful. You know, is this a uh, a scripturally commanded, or is this simply something, some kind of practice that affirms a biblical truth? And well, you can express it in different ways, and sometimes that happens. Um, you know, we're not denying the distinction of men and women when we allow you to supply your husband. <laughs> At the same point, you know, you kind of go, all right. So what practice do we have? You know, used to be it's on one side or the other to say, yes, we understand there's a distinction between the sexes. And, and, and guess what? We're getting into a culturally in a time in which, you know, I didn't think that was a problem, but evidently it is. <laughs> you know, it used to be that woman wore a veil, a head covering. You wore, I think, I, okay. So, yeah, that practice has gone its way as well. Fine. So tell me, what practice do we have today that lets us know that there's a distinction between men and women? I'm just, that's the problem. I mean, guess what? We've got no practices left. I mean, the, anyway, um, let me just leave it at that. You've opened up more than I can go. Brian. The true church will always be <laughs> he said, the true church will, will always be counter-cultural. I'm presenting... <laughs> <laughs> what I'm presenting to you in history... <sighs> how, how can I say this? It's supposed to be. In practice, we always fall short. Doctrine remains in, in life. We, ne- you know, what are we going to find? We're going to find that the church gets jerked around. And, you know, I wish that you might say that the culture would follow the church. But sadly, I'm going to show you that, guess what? Often the culture sets the agenda and the church follows it. And that's a sad state of affairs. Um, I had a couple more hands. Yeah, doctoral progress. You know, the thing that really aggravates me about that is that's the that's the hubris that because we've changed the way that we think about something, the way we do about something, that God needs to change what His word means. Correct. You know, so really, it comes back to the, to the most awful heresy in the beginning: is we want to be God. Or that that's mm-hmm. progress, which yeah. is yes. supposed to have a positive meaning. And for many of us, it does not. Right. It's, a, it's a flag. Just as fallen creatures, everything we think is better, we always make worse. Correct. Well, I was just going to say, this whole thing from, well, from the beginning of time, actually, the Christians are human beings, unfortunately. <laughs> and they're sinful. And, and everything we do is always to get away from what God's mm. word says. That's our natural tendency. And so God just drags us, he keeps dragging us back, he drags his church through time, trying, you know, getting them some occasionally on track, and then they wander, we wander off again, and he drags us back, then we wander that way, and he drags us back, and that's just how it is, because we're sinners. So whether we're talking about the individual, so every one of us individually, you know, what happens? 
we're always calling, being called back repentance for, you know, what happens with the church? Well, we're made up of sinners. I would hope that would, but, you know, someone once described the uh, the Christian church over 2,000 years, you know, as as a drunk falling off on one side of this and then on the other, and, you know, hopefully it's back in the middle. If you take a look at the, what, in practice, what the church has done, it's mainly in the middle. And you can always kind of go, yeah, that's where the church went off a bit. Um, so, yes, we do have that. Or, as, as um, I'm not done with some more questions, but, but, you know, any suggestion that true Lutheranism does not have a perfect value. We're talking about the Book of Concord. We're talking about the teaching that's founded on the Word of God, or, or that one part of the church knows and understands all truth um, was taken as a sign of the relativizing influence of modern theology on Lutheranism. In other words, modern theology says, oh, no, no, you can't know the truth. Um, you are going, there, it's, or it's going to be relative. Or, you know, I mean, there's always this. And, and they saw that. And, and it was going on. I'm going to get to some of those. Eric? So, doctrinal progress is not talking about getting closer, our doctrine closer matching with Scripture. It's sorry. Sorry about the opposite. The opposite. It's the opposite. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, now, um, yes, let me just say it and leave it at that. Is that. See, it's odd, but. That seems odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. It's wrong. I'm just thinking the progressive thing makes God's truth subject to his creation and what his creation is doing. Good point. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yep. Faster? Well, all of this stuff that we're talking about... What, what, does, what, does, what does, does God say to Adam and Eve at creation? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does Satan say? He didn't mean that. Now, what does that mean? Who was right? God. Oh, okay, so now in my sinful nature... When I read in the, in the book of the Bible, in the in the Bible, it says, "Don't commit adultery." What does that mean? What, what, what's the problem? If we were are resisting, then we want to do everything it says right. not to do. It, it never it, it doesn't hurt anything. <laughs> it it hurts do except when it does. <clears throat> See, and where does, human, where does human nature always lead us? To what God wants or to what we want? Yeah. See, where, where does that always lead us? That leads us away from faith. The, 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 the point of this discussion is, if, if you want to believe in the Lord, and the church says it's okay to do all of these sins, and you never have to repent, is that belief in God? No. The, the church is supposed to be the light of the word in the world. It's the temple in Jerusalem setting up on this hill so that everybody can walk by and see it and say, huh, I wonder what God that is. Instead of saying, well, this is the same old God I got over 
I got over in Egypt. I don't need to worry about that. Eric, I think I figured out where I was getting confused. So, theology, assuming that it started out correct, then you wouldn't have any change in it. Are we we saying theology as in scripture, or are we saying theology as in what we believe? I'm not used to having a Bible in my hand. (laughs) (laughs) Only a floppy one. Got to get rid of the Word of God. (laughs) Scripture. Theology is built upon the Word of God. And so it's an explanation of what it teaches. If that doctrine is built upon the Word of God, that doctrine, that teaching should not change. Right? Um, so, when they talk about doctrinal progress, what they are going to do is they're going to say, well, at the time of the Reformation, they taught the body and blood of Christ was in the sacrament. But we've come to understand that that is, you know, Sometimes in movies, the background music can let you know. You know where this is going. Um, I'm not going to get to this. I'll, I'll just tell you a funny story. I was on Vicarage. I was on Vicarage. Um, I was down in Florida during my third year of seminary, and. and um, one of the neighboring congregations, uh, their pastor was on vacation or whatever, you know, and, and so uh, my pastor, I was the vicar there, he said, why don't, uh, he, uh, why don't you go on over there and lead their service for them? You know, we'll give you some, you know, get you more experience and kind of stuff like that. Um, it was uh, the Black Lutheran Church in Pensacola. Okay? Now, um, it, it is, you know, it was a Missouri Senate Lutheran Church, but you go over there, lead service, and do that. Um, you know, I, I, so I did. That's what I was going to do. I show up there, I, I lead Bible class, we get ready for, for church. Um, I, I hate to tell you this. Um, I had in my mind the stereotypical, you know, it's probably going to be a little more lively than a bunch of white people. That's what I thought. Okay? And so, I actually wrote into my sermon a place where you could say amen. (laughs) At several points. I mean, this is terrible, but this is exactly what I did. Um, So, I get there, right? Um, I get there for the service. They follow the Lutheran hymnal, TLH, these and thous, to the T. There is absolutely no... I mean, it was just by the, by the book. Um, when I preached, and all the people said, there was nothing. <laughs> um, now, um, except, except for the black ladies having better hats. 
it was it was it was as straight laced as you could get. I mean, I was just it was crazy. Um, and I thought, boy, this is a lesson for me. I mean, I am just stereotypically racist, and I, I get it. Uh, what are you guys, you guys? This is a story. You can't ask questions. <laughs> <laughs> you want too many movies. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Wasn't the singing better, though? No, it, it wasn't. Well, we had a friend, we knew a guy from the seminary who was called to a black church. That's where his first call was. And so he thought, you know, I'll, I'll better start, you know, have the, the more of the, the gospel music, you know. And he was picking hymns and he thought they would. And they find the pastor, we're Lutheran. If we want to be yes. Baptist, right. we'll go down the street. That's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what, I mean, I was just, I was wrong. I was dead wrong. Okay, so what, what brought this up? I get to the prayers. Okay? And I, I get to the general prayers, the sermon's over, I go up to the altar, and I start to pray. Almighty God, Heavenly Father, and the organist starts playing. <laughs> and so I stop. <laughs> the organist stops. So, Lord, help us. And the organist starts playing again. <laughs> I have no idea what that, but, but the practice was is that the organ played quietly in the background while the pastor did the general... I have no idea where this came from. But that was... I'm sorry, just the music. The music came in like, I'm sorry, I stopped. I, you know, um, I can't do two things at once. All right, that's my funny story. But, um, let's see what I can finish. Um, Midwest Lutheran Synodical Conference, not much is going on. There's a little reorganization. Everything's together. In the Wisconsin Seminary at Wauwatosa, Wisconsin, it's just fun to say, Wauwatosa, John P. Kaler uh, came to the realization that these dogmatic formulations, these Latin terms, and these categories that are found in Lutheran writings are getting in the way of us doing theology. Because we, we you know, uh, um, and it's making real exegetical historical research impossible. And so, he, in effect, said, you can't use those anymore. So, you know, we're, we're getting ready to have a doctrinal discussion, and, and I talk about you know, uh, um, the two natures of, well, no, you can't, that's a doctrinal formalization. You're, you're just going to have to use scriptural terminology. Well, but the Orthodox Lutheran Church is always, yeah, Orthodox, that's a doctrinal designate. We can't use that terminology. <laughs> that's all um, kind of like Aristotelian scholastic language and, and, and it's forcing us to talk in ways that we should. So we're just going to throw it out. Well, uh, um, it was a well, Finally, this is often called the Lauatosa theology. Um, it was eventually condemned. The professors were suspended and thrown out. But it is still this day kind of a, you know, way of getting around. But this was in the conservative branch. Okay? This is not on the East Coast. So what do we have going on? Well, just to introduce you to it, and then we'll come back and kind of look at the history and the culture uh, that affects 
uh, modern liberal theology was gaining in the 1900s, although most Lutherans did hold to a verbally inspired scriptures and that the scripture itself was inerrant and things like evolution was completely rejected, modern liberal theology was just taking root. And it was taking root. Uh, um, it began to speak of development in doctrine, so you could uh, uh, develop long. And now we've gotten to the point where we think that it's okay to do this, or it doesn't mean that anymore. Or they were just trying to say that this is important. They weren't trying to uh, uh, say that was the only way to teach um, this development. Uh, later, the idea that our doctrine comes from our Christian self-conscience and our collective Christian experience. Um, Yes, Paul said some things against, like, homosexuality, but due to my experience with those who have this lifestyle and my collective Christian uh, uh, understanding of love... If Paul lived today, he would speak differently about this, provided you were in a committed homosexual relationship. That would be okay. And that's the development. That's the changing. That is, you know, uh, um, uh, can they still celebrate the Reformation? Absolutely, because that was Reformation standing up for your beliefs. And I'm standing up for my beliefs, which are completely different from his. That's how it kind of worked. Um, In addition to this, uh, there was something called higher criticism. Uh, We all believe Jesus and the forgiveness of sins, but there are some things in the the Bible that aren't true. And don't worry, they're just little things. I mean, they like messed up on numbers here and there, and and well, and then the next person says, well, yeah, and, and, and that thing about creation, that's... Yeah, no, no, not quite. There really wasn't an Adam and Eve, and then there was, and then pretty soon it just kind of got bigger and bigger, and this kind of you criticize the Bible itself. Um, but don't worry, we're still holding to that Jesus died for our sins, and so the 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 scriptures are true, but the Bible has errors. <laughs> So that when you say, well, you know, do you do you hold to this the scriptures? Yes, but not all of this would be the script. Now we're dis- distinguishing between this is what modern theology was doing when the Western German saw things going on and they were right. This type of theology had entered into the church. Well, and that's an awful poison because it simply follows what Satan asked Adam and Eve. Did God really say? And they, their answer is, well, maybe. You don't really know. If you don't know what God really says. Correct. Is higher, uh, higher criticism, criticism, yes, sorry, is that the one that's subject to my man's reason? Correct. Okay. Um, that is Hi. the, it now this is 1900s. <laughs> um, Seminex. In Missouri Senate, it was a result of higher criticism. Okay? It was starting at this point. It took that long. Now, in the liberals, no problem. In the conservatives, it took a long time. And that's when we finally got rid of it in Missouri. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. He's right. We got rid of it. 
Um, what other things? Uh, social gospel. Uh, the reason for the church is not to preach the forgiveness of sins, but to get people to give to their neighbor and to take care of the poor and to intervene in labor negotiations and to take care of all of this alcohol consumption and to stop dancing. We'll get to that. Social awareness um, was making inroads. Guess what? In the General Senate, um, now, in the Midwest and in the German Lutheran, whatever, no, we're pretty well insulated. Um, we're not dealt. Why? we got a lot of things that are keeping us from this. We're isolated by location. We're isolated because we're all speaking German, and most of the crazy stuff is happening in English. Um, <laughs> ecumenical endeavors. Uh, let's all get together. It wasn't affecting the Germans. Because they weren't getting together. But everyone else was talking. The General Senate is getting together with the Federal Council of Churches. Next time, I'm going to finish this out. I'm going to walk you through. But what's going on? Well, we've got a couple things. One, we've got um, uh, the 400th anniversary in 1917. I'm kind of giving you the history. We've already talked about how that led to coming in. And in 1917... Declaration of War. This changed everything. Um, you also had, a, because of the war, how does the church respond and in what positions is it, is it, does it put itself? So I've got liberal issues, I've got churchly issues, and I've got war and, and temporal issues that are all going to have a great effect on the church. That's why you can see, and, and, and you might say that uh, you know the church is supposed to be outside of countercultural, but 1917, everything changes for all the Norwegians. In 1918, United Lutheran Church in America, General Sanjot, East Coast Lutherans, everything changed. In the Midwest... It doesn't change outwardly because it takes a while for them to finally, but it will, but not yet. Um, all right, so that's where we are. We'll continue with page four next time. Any comments, questions? I wrap it up. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given us your word, and you have told us that your word is truth, and the truth will set us free. We ask, dear Lord, that our teaching, our, our practice, that they might always be uh, founded upon the word, and that where we have erred, that you will, will bring us back to that, to that same truth, uh, and that holding to that truth, that we might have the confidence uh, that... Uh, our sins are forgiven and that you have given us truly a gift in your Son, the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.